feel bad for you. <laughs> I, uh, I sing the truths we've sung tonight. Things that I have known since I was a child. And have known more fully as God's Word has been taught to me, as I've studied. And I lack no desire to learn more. To let it be burned into my heart in greater ways. Because I'm telling you, when we sing those kind of truths, they are eternal truths. Amen? I mean, we have heaven in front of us. We have everything we need for life and godliness. We have all kinds of hope when the struggle is grievous. And I've been handed that this morning. We had a great interaction, uh, even before the, the preaching part, where people were talking about different things that God uses to help us, right? And I was thinking the cloud of witnesses, right? I mean, from Scripture, so we absolutely know what happened to them and why and how and, and who Christ is and who the Father is and all that. And we have all that, but then I'm thinking, the cloud of witnesses that I've had in my life, how about you? I have a, a place in my journal um, where I have multiple columns multiple pages of men and women that have spiritually dented me. Some of them, it was one message. Some of them, it was a book I read. Some of them, it was a letter. We used to do that back in the day. Now, an email or a text. People that impacted me all along the way. Old, young, peer. And it's just a huge list. And it's not complete. Every once in a while, I still think of somebody. I'm like, whoa, that should be in that list. Uh, just God's constant mercy to us. We are filthy rich spiritually. I mean, we're at camp this week, all of this laid in front of us. And, and I say all that, I didn't plan any of that, but I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about how do we take this to our neighbors. If you're going to be able to take things to your neighbor and know who your neighbor is and introduce them to God, you have got to know how much you have in Christ. It, it's got to be on your mind and heart in such a way that you like accidentally say more than probably is comfortable. That should happen to you. You should be partway into a sentence and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I have to because this is what I know. This is what I have. And, uh, you know, I probably should make an apology to Harlan because we're, uh, we're talking about neighbors. And I, I looked for signs, but, you know, Ankeny, it's a, it's a wealthy city, right, Ankeny? You're over here. You know, they spend millions of dollars on some old sign. I can't even, I saw that. I'm like, who is running the taxes in that town? Anyway, and then, but then I was like, I was shocked. My secretary, find, I thought Urbandale was like conservative. Like, what is that? Now, Harlan, that's farmers. It's printed on the, it's printed. Enough said, right? I mean, I kind of relate to that one, you know. I say this and I put them up here because, you know, you could pick anything out about any of our cities and they're not the same. Every city's different. Every group of people, and people especially that live there a long time, they take on aspects of the culture of that city, and, and culture is not one-dimensional, it's, it's full of flavor in uh, almost every town. Um, and we have to think, as we started talking about on Sunday, we have to think about how do we get to know our neighbor. Paul did that in the passage. Go back to Acts 17, and uh, Acts 17 verses 24 through 28 is kind of where we're at, but just ahead of that, um, he talked to all different kinds of people in the culture of that city. He was talking to people who actually thought Christians were atheists. Did you just hear me? Isn't that weird? That in that, that area, in Greece and across some of the Roman world, Christianity as it came to be was looked at like, well, they're atheists because they believe in one God. They don't believe in the gods. And so they're atheists. Um, they, they would think of Christians as godless. 
Isn't that funny how then Paul turns that on its head as he's talking to them and he says, I perceived it, that you are very into gods and who they are. Matter of fact, you even have a God or an altar to the unknown God. And so he takes what was kind of a cut against him and instead of kind of being bitter about that or setting the record straight, he starts with an understanding statement about their culture. And you're going to have to do that in your city, your neighborhood, the people that you meet. The next slide is a review. Put most of the words there in, uh, so you can have them. But as we were working on this on Sunday, we talked about the essentialness of prayer together. We're going to do that before we're done tonight. You're going to pray together. But then we have connect. And I was just thinking today, this afternoon, since I've moved to Ohio, it's tough when you move. Some of you else have transitioned in the last year, and especially during COVID. Like, I got to re-meet my neighbors six times because they're wearing masks. I mean, like, that's not a lot to go on, you know what I mean? And so you keep re-meeting people at church, on the neighborhood. Now the masks are mostly off, not entirely in my neighborhood. But you're getting used to people, getting, you know, getting to know them. And I started thinking, what are all the places and ways that my wife and I have connected? And when I talk about connect tonight, it's not just that I actually met somebody. I want to push a little harder. I want to push to the next click, which is a God conversation. So where are all the places in like a year and a half, a little less than that, where Jennifer and I have been able to meet somebody and have a God conversation and not just a God bless you, you know, not, and that's fine, I guess, but not just something trite like that, but actually a piece of a verse or an entire verse that describes the truth of who God is in some way. In fitting with the you know the conversation, I just walk up to people and say, "Here's a word about God." No, I'm talking about in a conversation connecting to people. I start thinking, well, you know, I go to like every hardware store I can find. I mean, why wouldn't you, you know? And so I, at hardware stores, I've had multiple interactions. Small engine repair place. Got to meet as I bought a lawnmower. Got to meet somebody and have a God conversation. Enough of one that I had to go back and try and take that relationship another step. And then he moved. No help. But, but in these conversations, having conversation about God, at the ice cream stand, I really told my wife that this is a ministry God is calling us to. You know what I mean? But she didn't buy that one at all. <laughs> uh, but at the ice cream stand, we're standing there in COVID far apart. And, and it, you know, there's pinch point everywhere, as we talked about, and just having conversation, be able to speak about God. And you have to understand, like, I feel awkward and weird every time I do this. Because you may hear me say this and say, well, I'm not like you. Uh, my wife is even, I mean, she's introverted compared to me. And yet some of these conversations, she was the launch point. She was the one that got it to a spot where I could jump in or vice versa. Some of them she had on her own. Certainly with every one of our neighbors that touch our house, their houses that touch our property across the street, as Dr. Tillotson says, the sanctified seven. Okay, we have five. But the five that are near us, um, we speak and have spoken God conversations, multiple conversations, and people down the street, police officers, had God conversation with multiple police officers in my neighborhood. Um, and we start keeping going. We've had vendors come to the mission. I was going to tell you I've had some God conversations. I'm praying the vice presidents of Baptist church planners get saved, but I didn't want to confuse you, okay? Um, so how do you have a God conversation when you work in a Christian building? Well, we have vendors. Uh, people that come in all the time. We just had a flood and so we had to have stuff torn out in our basement at the mission. We got to share several significant God conversations with the company that was doing the cleanup. God brings lots of opportunities. I have more than that in just a year and a half. It's, it's a choice. It's a discipline to say, I'm going to live my life this way. Sometimes I've even had a bad attitude. 
One day I had a bad attitude. My wife had to look at me and say, you are coveting gospel opportunities. And she said it nicer than that. You have to know my wife. But she should have said it like that. She goes, I think you're being idolatrous because I was just you know, kicking the dirt, like, we've moved, I don't know anybody, it's so hard to make connects, it's hard to get to the gospel, I'm just doing these God conversations, doesn't seem to be, I'm just, I'm moping, and of course, when you get covetous, as soon as you start to sin, what happens, does that enliven your gospel outreach? No, no. so what did I do? I quit having all kinds of conversations, because that's what sin does, so you can covet over spiritual stuff, how, how messed up we are, so thankful for help me, that points me to Jesus, right? And I confessed that sin, um, that it was at night. And the next day I was in the backyard and the neighbor has some service at Moses' yard. The guy f- goes by the fence, stops, shuts off the mower. I'm like, what in the world? No, I mean, he's got to make money. You do that by keep going, right? Shuts off the mower, starts a conversation with me. I got to share the entire gospel. As that guy pegged me with questions, never met him before. And of course, I love how God does that, don't you? When he beats you with a wet noodle. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I tell you, I can give you a conversation anytime I want, John Jenks. Would you just follow me? Don't be discontent. Some of you have restricted, difficult lives where you're going to have limited opportunities with lost people. Don't, don't kick the dirt like me. Say, God, show me which ones. Show me when. That's back to the prayer element, but I just kind of share those pieces. Some of you, your assignment of the last message was to just figure out how to start connecting with lost people. And so hopefully some of that helps you. Having God conversations and then hopefully get into gospel conversations. Tonight, we're going to walk through part of the 17 truths. I don't know how far we're going to get. We'll see what happens. That Paul worked on over the course of probably several hours with completely pagan people who had no good definition of who God was. Okay, so he's in a tough assignment. Now, if you're like me, I can't believe it's Monday. I I feel like it's Taco Tuesday. I said that to try and mess our our director up here, you know, but like, I'm tired. Are you tired yet? Like, how did this happen this quickly in a week? And so if you're tired, I'll just give you this. As soon as you hear one of these that fits one of your friends, you can go to sleep. Okay, so, you know, that's just a little challenge for you. Um, it, it may give you a little break. Um, but as I think about these things we're going to talk about, I'm one of these guys, I kind of like to do three things at once. And if you hate that, just pick one, all right? But when I think about three things at once, you really could listen to the six, seven, or eight things we go over in the next few minutes. And you could just listen to them and let it warm you spiritually. And it wouldn't be wrong. Some of you came to camp beat up. And you say, you're talking about outreach? Like, I'm just trying to survive. I totally get it. And I guarantee you, these truths about God, they are not just for lost people to be introduced to God. These are the rich things that empower our lives. And we hold to them with tight grip when we are in difficulty. Okay? So some of you, maybe you say, I'm just doing that assignment. Because honestly, if you do that assignment correctly, the outreach can just happen out of it. the Spirit of God will just call on it. So if you've got to pick one of the things to do with the eight things, just let it warm you spiritually. Second, which one fits your neighbor's needs? I talked to several of you already. You've come up to me and said, man, your first sermon, I'm listening. At the same time, God's like giving me names. I'm writing them down. I'm thinking about people and interactions I've had and what I need to do next. That's great. I totally think that should happen in church all the time. 
almost every sermon I listen to from my pastors, I'm thinking, who could I have conversation about this even this week as I walk into them? How would I talk about church? Because that helps introduce them to the normalness of that and who God is. And it's just normal cultural conversation if they're around a Christian, I hope. So which one fits, though, in this case, your neighbor's needs? Think about your neighbor, whatever that is. And some of you go, well, who is my neighbor? Don't do that. Okay, the last person who asked Jesus that kind of got in trouble, okay? So <laughs> just whatever name God's putting in your mind, that's your neighbor, okay? And uh, so as those come to mind, and you say, but it's actually a saved person, but I think that concept would help them, then take it to them, okay? This is good. Don't, 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 don't hem in the sermon. Let, let the Spirit lead. But which one fits your neighbor's needs? So you got to think, what is my neighbor's need? What does my neighbor think? What have they expressed about what they think? Not what you think they think. You're definitely wrong. Almost entirely. What have they expressed about what they're thinking in life? See, I haven't had that conversation with them. Back up and start to connect and really build relationships so you know what they're thinking. So which one of these fits what your neighbor is thinking? And then, third thing, how do I get this out? Like, it's one thing to know they think this way and to know the truth, but like, how do I have that conversation? Like, how, how's that bridge going to take place? People come to me all the time with those questions, and I like to brainstorm with you. But the truth is, only the Spirit of God can fix that for you. There is no method, okay? There's no like, here's the four steps you take to... No, I don't think so, okay? Uh, you have to have this truth. You have to understand and let the Spirit of God... And you say, but I'm not good at it. Let me tell you, everything I've learned, I've learned from like eight failures first. Okay, and I still have those. And I love it when I fail with a neighbor. They ask a question and I'm like, quiet. Sometimes I don't even answer. I'm like, hmm, that's a good question. You say, that's it? That's all you give them? Sometimes. Because sometimes I haven't been walking very spiritually, so it's like dead-end street in the head. But I am humble enough later when I get spiritual to go back to them and say, you know, the other day you asked this or you said this, and I've been thinking about that. Which, by the way, just absolutely honors your neighbor that you thought about what he said. So just go back, hat in hand, you know, and, and say, I've been thinking about it. And here's, here's my first thought out of what you've said. And I've had to do that I mean, probably half the time I have to do that. Um, because I'm just, just not quite ready. I, I just learned how he thinks I haven't had time to even begin to think which one of these God items. I think this passage is cool because if you work hard this day and tomorrow, you'll have 17 items, and these aren't all the things they would need to know about God. These kind of fit the situation that Luke's unfolding for Theophilus, the, the situation that Paul was in. So be thinking, how can I connect this and be asking God? You're allowed to pray while I'm preaching, okay? Be asking him, how might that happen? Because I find as I think, how might it? Some of you go, I have no idea. I know, but just imagine. That's what I do when I lay on my bed and I'm driving down the road. You know, I drove 700 miles to get here and I listened to the radio for about 15 minutes and I was tired of it. So I was just quiet because I ran out of data. It was great. Jesus was like pinning me in my truck. I had no doubt. I just, I guess I can talk to you, Jesus, you know, and he's like, well, it's about time. And, you know, so we just, I just start thinking like, what about this neighbor and what do they need? And, and talk to the Lord about that. So let's quickly, because I want to get a few of these in. What are some of these things? So the first one, um, that might warm you, that might help you fit with what your neighbor thinks is God is creator of all things. In the text, verse 24, it says simply, the God who made the world and everything in it. Verse 26, and he made from one man every ethnos of mankind to live 
on the face of the earth. We didn't get here on accident. We were put here from one man. And he, he says a little further in verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. And they said that with a piece after it that was unbiblical, so he dropped it. Okay, <laughs> He just used part of their statement, and then he refined it very biblically. And he said, For we are indeed his living close resemblance. It's a way of saying the image of God. Okay, He says, For we are indeed his offspring, or we are his resemblance, his image. You know, some of you have kids like that. I walk, watch them walk by, see this little kid, then a bigger kid, and then it's like, yep, that's the mom. You know what I mean? Like some of your kids, they just line up like that. And that's cool. I love that, actually. Uh, he says that's what we're supposed to be about Jesus, okay? Only it's not physical image. It's the very spiritual quality being his kid. And even before we become his child, we have this image of God. There's a part of him printed on us that draws us to him. I think of so many ways this has been evidenced to me as I watch people. Um, I hunted. I loved to hunt. I hunt in Wisconsin a lot before I moved. And I would hunt with unsaved guys mostly. And I never hunted with an unsaved guy in Wisconsin that believed in evolution. You know, it's been taught for generations. Never one. Every time I said a statement like, isn't it amazing how God created these birds that taste so good? And no guy went, yeah, no, they just evolved that way so we could have supper. No one. Never. Never once. Why is that? Because the image of God, as soon as you're in creation, this is a bummer when you live in a city. I think when you live in a city and it's like concrete and man-made stuff, sometimes and you can't see any stars, it's tough in the city if you spend any time there. To, you can lose track of the reminder that God of creation and what he's done teaches us this. I told this story in a couple of your churches, but just this spring I was digging more flower beds for my wife. I had made three, and uh, so I was making three more vegetable flower garden type things, and, and we live in clay soil. It's like this floor by the time you get to summer, so it's like quick in the spring, taking sod off, and, and I'm digging, and, um, and my neighbor, who just across the fence a little ways, he's standing back for me, like, I don't want to get too close, you know, it's springtime, and, and, uh, and I said, isn't it amazing? And I'd watched him borrow or rent an air chisel to dig a hole um, back last summer to plant a bush. And I thought, I'm not doing that, you know. So, um, and I'm doing this and he's watching me and he, he's kind of, he doesn't have much personal conversation with me. He's always been really hesitant. He probably Googled me. But anyway, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm digging this stuff and I said, isn't it the craziest thing that God made like the softest animal that can drill through concrete? This earthworm. That's all I said to him. And he looked at me, he goes, yeah, I never thought of that. I didn't remember that hole I dug. I'm like, I know. And there's earthworms living in that stuff. He's like, that's crazy. Did you know my brother's dying? I'm like, I got whiplash. I, I mean, I'm just trying to have a God conversation here, okay? I'm trying to like, if, there could, if we could possibly have something personal happen between us, right? And we're praying as a family, Lord, open doors. And I'm talking about an earthworm. I mean, Read that in a book somewhere. You want to witness to your neighbor, talk about earthworms. I mean, it's not, it's not in any book, okay? It's just understanding that God, and I, my, my mind works weird, so I did that. You know, I didn't plan on it that morning. It just was sitting in front of me. And, uh, and he talks about his brother. And it has opened our entire relationship. He lost a brother to COVID. And now he's, as of two weeks ago, lost a sister to cancer. 
And he says, there's only two of the five left. And he's only 60. And uh, he's struggling, right? And it came, and I never saw it come. It came out of creation. Um, I have people, though, that you do talk about God as creator, and, and they're evolutionary. And I don't ever try and argue. I, I just, I, it doesn't seem like it's valuable most of the time. Um, I ask questions. I back up a little bit, try and listen. I don't try and ever be hostile. Uh, but often when someone, if they're willing to actually say that, they don't know that they believe God, evolution, I say to them, then how come you think the sunset is so beautiful? And they're like, Mike, because how, how does that help the evolutionary process? Like, why would that be remarkable? Like, how does that fit? Where does beauty come from if we're all just evolving from whatever? And I just try and put some cracks out of creation because remember the image of God in them. I don't have to convince them. I just have to put things in front that draw out that image of God that's in them. Help them make connect. Uh, this section has been really helpful. When you think about creation in the verses I read, there's one from one man every nation. My block that I live on now, um, we are very similar socioeconomically. We're very similar educationally. Uh, on the block, my block has 70 houses. It's actually a street. It's just a straight street with a dead end. And uh, we're all very similar, but we, uh, we have many, many different skin colors on my street. And, uh, and everyone plays together, everyone laughs together. Our neighborhood is like incredibly peaceful and it's fun. Um, it's so dynamic. The differences on our street of culture and background. And uh, I have used this passage um, because there's, if you haven't noticed, there's been a lot of what the world calls racial tension. I just call it tons of unkindness and prejudice, right? And there's a ton of that going on. And that could be very uncomfortable on my street. And it is, honestly. It's difficult. And I have to be a listener. But as I've had conversations, and uh, I just ask men, I said, how are you doing in the turbulent world we live in right now? And they know what we're talking about. And, uh, and they speak. And, and sometimes I just encourage them. I said, understand, God clearly says that we all come from one man. We are all in God's image. We're the same. I've never had a guy argue with me yet. They don't necessarily believe in God. But when you say that, you'd be surprised how my neighbors have connected to me as they recognize that my God and what my God has laid down says that the two of us are equal and that we are His. And I think sometimes we shy away from certain conversations that we need to be in the front end of. So we think about the image of God and having one blood. The race issues, as our nation would call them, and they're there, they're real. There's, there's difficult things. I mean, I preached uh, on the edge of a completely burned out part of Minneapolis, St. Paul area. And it was, it's disheartening to see the chaos. It really is. And so we need to be at the front end of, of giving hope. And it comes from a right view of God as creator. Two. And I'm trying to, I'll try and give some things that warm me or give me confidence. I'll try and give you some things about how I've connected neighbors with each one. I can't nail everything, so you're going to need to think. Two. God is the ruler of all things. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Um, I am 
past years where people know me better and I'm living around them. Um, have you ever been judged by a neighbor or by someone else and another person gets to witness it? It's really not a comfortable thing, is it? And when it happens at church, it's even worse. But in society, I mean, I've been, I've been attacked uh, for who I am in front of other people in culture where I lived. And when that happens, um, I just try and be kind. And I've done that. And I've done it enough that I've had multiple conversations over the last five years where people would come to me and say, why were you, how come you didn't get mad? I said, well, that's, that's pretty easy. I said, I have one Lord who rules over me, heaven and earth. So I said, what someone else thinks, um, I need to listen to, I need to consider, but they're not my Lord. And I've had that conversation with lots of lost people. Because they're unnerved when people attack. People don't like conflict. I understand that. It's not comfortable. But when we're able to just speak the truth that there's one Lord of heaven and earth. Um, and he's the one that rules. My neighbor, uh, I parked my trailer next to the house. I was going to have concrete put there. And uh, he looked at me and I said, am I outside of like the neighborhood code? He goes, no, but I don't like it. I just built this extra porch out the back and I don't want to look at your trailer. And I'm thinking, you're going to have to sit like this, like at a really awkward angle to do it. I didn't say anything. I'm like, oh. So I paid to store my trailer somewhere else. And he came to me and said, I see you moved your trailer. Yep. You didn't have to do that. I said, I don't know. He goes, well, why would you do it? I said, well, I want to be a good neighbor. I said... But the reason I want to be a good neighbor. See, sometimes I've failed so much by just saying I want to be a good neighbor. I said, and the reason I want to be a good neighbor is because I have a Lord who rules over me. And he has told me to be kind to my neighbors. I said, and you were honest enough to express what you didn't like. And so I said, if I can match up to that, I'm going to always strive to do that. Well, that did not hurt our relationship. Just so you know, it's opened more relationship. God is ruler over all things. Um, this is why, I don't know about you, this is why I have confidence. I don't have confidence because I think I'm smarter than the people in this room. Not in the least. Some of you teach this stuff with more alacrity as pastors and lay people. But I have my confidence I have because I have a Lord that I follow. And I listen to Him. And I think that sets us apart in the world. Now I meet neighbors um, that are very confident. Because I live among very professional people. And... Uh, and so as they talk to me, they're very confident. And so I like to create pinch points. And so sometimes I do, I say, you know, you just, you just really seem like a strong leader. I said, it's, it's fun. I mean, in fact, I've learned a couple things, and I have usually from these, the people I interact with. I said, you're a strong leader. I said, but what do you do when fear kind of enters the picture for you? And of course, they want to start with a professional answer, and that's good. They start there, but they find themselves like with, Nothing underneath them. You know what I mean? Because without one Lord who rules heaven and earth, that we follow his truth, at some point your reasons start to get like, like thin ice. And e any person who's having a real conversation, they start to realize that and they usually change the subject. And I just smile and let them go on to something else. And I might follow up later with a, a question like, you know, you're leading a corporation or you're leading this team that you have at work. How do you handle the stuff that you can't know is coming down the pike? How do you handle that in your mind? And uh, many times as I ask a question like that, again, I'm fitting into my culture, the people I'm talking to, but as I speak that, then they're like, 
well, I, I just don't even know. What do you do? Like, I'm glad you asked. You know what I mean? And I take them to my Lord, right? And they never go, well, that's dumb, because they didn't have an answer. And I don't press it. I don't give them like, you know, a 40-minute sermon. I give them one passage of Scripture about how he's Lord and how I followed something he has said on something I was unsure of. And in COVID days, we're all unsure as people who lead, whether it's a, a mom or a dad or a pastor or a, a person who's running a business or leading a team. God is ruler of all things. Nothing is above him. He's most high. Genesis 14, 18. Third, God is a transcendent spirit. Verse 24, it says, He does not live in temples made by man. Um, if you go down to verse 29, it says, Being then God's offspring, in other words, we are made in His image, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now, some of our neighborhoods do have actual formed idols. So I don't want to blow past that. This verse may have really direct things that you should speak out of it. Um, you know, because still that formed idol, can it talk to you? Does it hear? And who made it? Man, you know. Now, you don't want to have that in a too crass of a conversation, but you might ask some questions and say, you know, how do you have your confidence? You know, where does, where does your idol come from? You know? And they're going to give some history. Yeah, I understand the history, but like, like where did it, how did it show up? Well, someone made the, the first one. Oh, that's interesting. That might be the end of the conversation if I was having it. Unless they poke at me a little bit, right? I mean, these take times. It's so hard to illustrate this stuff to you because some of the, some of the conversations, they take weeks and many interactions, and I'm trying to boil it so you can get pieces of it. Um, but so you might actually have idols. We had that in our town. We had among people where I pastored, they, they worship. One of the things they worship is the center post of the house. Okay. That which holds everything up. And it's, it's very spiritual. And with among person, when we did that, they don't have written words. So I usually go a different direction, but they do believe that deity is spirit. Now they're a little off on how they think about spirit, but that provides a conversation. I say, you know, we, we understand God as spirit as well. Really? Yes, and this is how we would say that. You know, those are not hard conversations. You do have to do some research to so understand who you're talking to and let them tell you a lot of these things. But to speak that God is, and you say, I don't see spirit in here. I know, but if he is everywhere, and he is in this passage, um, he's not confined. The only way to do that is to be spirit, okay? And we have other passages that would take us there. Um, one of the things about God being spirit that I like to talk about is that I'm never alone, and as I have moved, and I'll just tell people, like in the ice cream line, man, it's been weird, like trying to get to know people, like uh, with masks, you know, and we're kind of just a family here by ourselves, and, uh, and that's kind of hard, and they're usually sympathetic, you know, it's nice. And I said, but you know, this is how uh, we handle being alone. There's a spirit who is with us. Um, and to, just to describe that I'm never I'm never alone. My wife's home alone, taking care of her dad. And some of our neighbors have actually, God's used them to step in. We've been able to be thankful to them. And uh, God's used it to build relationship. He loves to use our hardship to build relationship with people. And then, and they watch you in your hardship. And one of the ladies says, asked Jen, how do you handle this when your husband's gone? I mean, you're alone. And my wife's like, oh, I'm never alone. 
And uh, they're like, yeah, but you can't see God. I know, I wouldn't want to see God. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, if I could see God, then he would be positioned somewhere and would be out of reach if I was somewhere else. Right? Isn't that what this passage is teaching us? And you say, these are just such fundamental things. I know, but people don't know this about God. They have some kind of idea. And if they're going to believe in the Lord of heaven and earth, he has to be someone who is everywhere. And, and not made by man, not confined in a building. And you know, say, well, then what about the temple that was in Jerusalem? Because I meet people that know some scripture. I say, let's talk about that. He was never confined by that temple. And uh, here's, here's how the Bible would say that. I love it when they ask questions like that, because then you can go to actual scripture, and you're not foisting anything on them, and you're just able to now start to move into the next category on the path where we are having gospel, full-on gospel Bible study with people because their interest goes up. Because full-on gospel Bible study isn't meeting on Mondays over coffee. It is speaking more than just simple little truth, but now I'm unfolding truth to them. And it may be standing by the fence. Um, on a regular basis. The other thing I love to do when you think about God being spirit is to introduce how the spirit works. And you see this in the book of Acts where the apostles came and authenticated what spirit was and described spirit because Gentile people had no idea about the spirit of God. So we have to do this. I love to tell people as I'm interacting with them if we've had a kind of a, you can tell there's an emotional conversation happening here like God is doing something. They are grasping they are trying to seek God, which is never natural. It's always spiritual. And I like to say, you know that feeling you have in right now where you feel like, man, I really should do something with this? And they're like, yeah, how'd you know that? I said, that's what the Spirit of God does. And I said, you can't see the Spirit. Matter of fact, He's called breath. He's called wind. I mean, these are perfect images. So you can't see Him, but He blows, and you never know where He's going to go. And But that what you're sensing is you're trying to understand God. That is God's spirit at work within you. Like identify it for them. And, and how he uses the word and speak to them, God, as transcendent spirit. He's everywhere at once. Um, another piece of this at Paul's audience was, this is why they believe everything. They're pantheists. Our culture is moving fast toward everything being God um, or spiritual and grasping at all kinds of things and smashing lots of different religious concepts together, usually based on whatever movie was just watched. Um, you know, add the next movie to the next movie and create something spiritual in our culture. But, but as people do that, even that, as they say, but I, I, I don't know, I can't just believe one thing. I want to believe all these things. So let me tell you why you want to believe all those things. So that's because God is present everywhere at once. And you have his image in you. And so you are drawn to try and find and understand them. And if you do that wrongly, you're going to start thinking there's lots of gods everywhere, where rather God is using his creation to draw you to himself and, and, and pull on your image so that you would know him. God, transcendent spirit. Four. I'm going to do like two more here. God is the sustainer of all things. This is a difficult one. So in verse 25, the second half of the verse, it says, Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Usually you get to this one because someone is struggling with the hardship in their life. And why would God allow this to happen? My one neighbor who's lost two siblings Right before he lost the second one, he was mowing yard. 
I must have an attraction to lawnmowers, but I was actually working on my truck and he's mowing yard and he stops, he shuts it off and he's very diligent, like get the whole yard done at once. So I thought this is weird. He shut it off and he looks at me and he goes, you know, my sister's really sick. And I'm like, yeah, I know I've been praying for her. And I usually, I think I told him there, because I usually do what I was actually praying, which is a way to speak about who God is. And I did that. He goes, yeah, I pray. He said, actually, you may not know this about me. You may not think this about me. Um, He said, but I actually believe God exists. He said, how can you not believe God exists? I mean, just look around. Okay, this is good. He said, but I tell you, and I believe in prayer. Like I ask God for stuff. I still ask God for things, but he has never come through for me. But that's a, that is a really serious conversation. And I didn't answer him. At first, I was quiet. And, uh, and I, I, he didn't ask a question, you notice. And he was about ready to start tomorrow. And I, I said, Steve, um, I don't know why God has allowed what he's allowed. So, but he is fully in control. I'm never going to shy away from that. God creates light and darkness, peace and calamity. Okay? That, I'm not going to shy away. I said, and I said, and sometimes I don't understand what's happening in my life. And God doesn't seem troubled by that. I said, Psalm 13, David, King David, the one who killed Goliath, he goes, yeah, I've heard that story. I'm like, okay. I said, uh, he, he was upset at what was going on in his life, and he, was, he just cried out to God and asked him, how long is this going to go on? And, uh, and I said, someday let's talk about how he finished that cry. Because I could tell he was getting edgy, because that was like a lot of Bible. Okay? And, uh, but, I, but I just said, someday we'll talk about where David came out on that. But understand, God is not freaked out that you're questioning him. And that you don't understand, or that it seems like he has not come through for you. He wasn't ready for all the other pieces. I didn't believe as I was trying to understand what the Spirit would have me do at that moment. But somewhere down the road, I may get to tell some of the stories of people that have been in as grievous or far more grievous situation than where he has been. And I've told this story at camp before, but I had a guy at my church look at me after he came to Christ, and he said, I'm so glad I was abused as a seven-year-old kid and that I fell into homosexuality out of that and didn't know Jesus, never knew church. He said, I'm glad all that happened. I'm thinking, where is this conversation going? And I would never tell somebody else to think this, but he was speaking truth, by the way. He said, because if that hadn't happened, I might never have stood in front of you that day I stood in front of you and you opened the Bible and I came to know Jesus and now I have hope that is eternal and I have redemption that fixes everything that's been destroyed. And eternally I have placement that no one can rock. Think. Someday Steve's going to hear that story. Or one like it. So that he would know that God is the one who holds everything together. Yeah, I can't make sense of it. Neither can you. I try not to tell people how to make sense of their trouble. Let God bring them to that. Okay? But you still need to speak that he is the one that holds all this together. Um, another thing, uh, several other things that I, I will tell Steve and I've told other people. I said this at camp recently to teens as they were asking me questions about the evil and 
the people that God has just allowed so much prejudice against and, and the things that, you know, just immoral things and harmful things and divorced and wrecked situations that harm and hurt. And I mean, we all have something like this in our life. And this passage clearly tells us in verse 30, I'd say it in my terms, don't confuse patience by God for weakness or acceptance of evil. I said, you know, why does God allow that? I said, look, he has to allow evil or you would have been condemned to death and never made it to this conversation. I mean, it's a wonder that anybody lives because God is holy and perfect and we have all violated that. When people come with a struggle of evil, I'm ready to talk about sin because they started the conversation with me and I'm going to do it sensitively. I'm going to listen a long time to what their hardship is and it might take three conversations. But let me tell you, sin's going to come out and God's justice is going to come out. And I'm going to say, but don't mistake God's patience. In this passage, it says, verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. I tell people, this harm that's done, let me tell you, God will judge that. He will correct it. And he has provided a redemption, a renewal, okay, a new creation, all things made new in eternity for those who would believe in him. And now's the time. Or you get to stay in this struggle spot with your evil which is uncomfortable and not happy. And I've done it. God is the sustainer of all things. Last piece. And this one I'm still driving. If you're trying to be warmed, you said that was not warm. You were fierce. But if you're trying to be warm with some of this, you have to let this seep into your head. Man's goal is no pain. And you know what? That's not like messed up in the head, right? Like if I smashed your thumb with a hammer, what would you think about? Your thumb. Okay, I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> and you might think about hitting me. But, you know, you're going to think about your thumb. Pain always makes us look at ourselves. And we interpret then the whole world from this fierce hurt that is go- ongoing in our life. And, and, and we're not messed up in the head when we do that. That is like human normal response. But we have to instead understand that God's goal is the gospel and the internal peace that it will bring not our immediate comfort. You say, but God cares about my comfort. Well, he does. So he's going to provide an eternal comfort. And he provides such an incredible eternal comfort that people like Paul says, this is just momentary, small thing. Like, how did Paul say that? I mean, he was one seriously beat up dude, spiritually and physically and health-wise. I mean, he had it all going wrong compared to me. He says this momentary light affliction. How could he say that? Because it was deep affliction. Because comparatively, there is an eternal comfort, and God's plan is about that. So my friend who says, this abuse is horrible, and it was, and he, did, he didn't say and he wanted to go through it again, but he's saying, but it brought me to what is eternal, what is real hope. So it's just momentary, right? It's just It's small in comparison. And let me tell you, I never immediately get and think about my trouble as small, ever. I always have to have help from the Lord and from his people called the church, every time. I have to have my wife, you know, grab my little face. She used to do it with our two-year-olds. She just now only does it with me. (laughs) Grabs my face, you know, and says, honey. I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) 
Five minutes into heaven, I know, it won't matter. You know, and I just need that. You know what I mean? And she's very loving about it, but I, I got to have that, okay? I have to have this understanding. Look, God has given you privilege if you're suffering because it, it's, he is guaranteeing he is going to use it for his gospel plan. That's who he is. And he is waiting and allowing that trouble to remain in some of your lives. This trouble goes all the way to the grave. But then it's gone. And God will have used you. And if you submit to him and you get the beauty of that, he will use you dynamically in the places where he puts you. Oh man, I'm in trouble for the whole week now. I'm going to leave it there. So, you had an assignment. You're supposed to let some of these things land in you because as you looked at the chart from the day before, you saw all these things that in your practical atheism, that's when Christians forget about God, right? In your practical atheism, you acted the same way. I want new things. I want pleasure. I want this. I want that. I, you know, all the things that our culture normally grabs for that is in Paul's passage with the Stoics and Epicureans and uh, the Areopagus people and everyone else. I mean, he, you have the same things. And uh, these items about God, they, they should shift that for you. So, which one did you pick? We're going to quit. We have literally two minutes to do this, so you have to fly, okay? You get to only talk to one person, one person near you, and tell them which one of the ones we went over is the one you're thinking about. Think about, and tell them, I'm working on it for me, or I have a neighbor that I think a conversation would fit with. Speak that and then pray. Chad's going to play music. When he's done playing, you're done, so you better move. Go. Now. Talk. If I don't hear any talking, I'll preach the next point. So go.